Hi guys, and well done to your UNA series podcast. Today we are talking about the menopause and the perimenopause, and I just want to say that you're up for a treat because I'm so thrilled to welcome Dr. Wendy Denning. Dr. Denning is passionate about integrated health and has been a private GP in the Harley Street area for over 20 years. She's best known as co-presenter for the successful Channel 5 series, The Diet Doctors Inside and Out. She lectures regularly to doctors and healthcare workers on the menopause and the perimenopause. But I also want to say that she's a lot more than that. She's an amazing integrated holistic doctor who specializes in so many different things that I don't think I can summarize them all, but I will say in a nutshell, thyroid dysfunction, diabetes, infertility, cardiovascular disease, IBS, parasite and heavy metal detox, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, so many things. And on a more personal note, I am not just excited, but so honored to have Wendy with us today because I was a lucky young therapist nearly 16 or 17 years ago, and I had the chance to meet her then, and I was just a young, very young boy, and she guided me and was my mentor in many ways. So it's really a great journey for me to have her back here on this podcast tonight. So let's focus a bit on the menopause and the perimenopause. And the first question I would like to ask you, Wendy, is what's your philosophy about it? What do you think and how would you describe your way of thinking about perimenopause? Because this is what we're trying to speak about tonight. What's your first idea about that? I think the main thing is that women go into the menopause on average around age 51. Mm -hmm. And the perimenopause can start for four, eight, ten years before that. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, when women are in their 40s. And it's a very interesting time for women because everyone talks about the menopause and no one talks about that roller coaster ride. And ten years is a long time. <laughs> it can be a very long time. And it's not that long for everyone. In fact, mm -hmm. many women have a very gentle little, you know, ride up to 50, 55, and then you know, their periods drop off and everything goes smoothly. But for the women that have a rough ride, it's quite a ride. And, you know, I saw a woman today, she's 40, she hasn't had kids. Sometimes when you haven't had kids, you actually hit the menopause earlier. Mm -hmm. That's a, such an irony, isn't it? It is. And it's a, you know, painful irony for many women that they're actually more likely to have early menopause. And I will say on touch of that, often when women don't have kids, they seem to have quite a few other issues where, with the whole gynosphere. They tend to have more fibroids, they have more endometriosis. It seems there's a link, you know, it seems that we are in a way designed to have kids. And when yeah. we do that, when the body goes through the process, it seems to be more ready for the next stage of, of change. Yeah, that's very fair and very absolutely I would agree with that. And I think, so with the things that we see in the perimenopause are things like not sleeping well, um, erratic moods, that's a big one. That's probably the most common reason why people will show up in my office. They're just like, suddenly they, for two weeks of the month, they've turned into sort of, you know, machete carrying women <laughs> just get out of my way you know so is it the first is it the first i would say sign because it's that they feel has or symptom rather that they feel is something it's a mood change it is the one that's most commonly recognized but it's not yeah. i have had women that the only thing they show up with is vaginal dryness yeah 
and that's before the periods finish. Or they will show up with suddenly lots of libido. Same mm. relationship, nothing really happened, but they suddenly don't feel it anymore. I have a question that comes to mind right now. Do you, have you noticed over the years that you can, because I know it's really difficult to find, but to find if there is something in the life before the perimenopause that will explain if you're going to have a smooth or not ride towards it. You know, can you be, can you prevent it or know if something, is it hereditary, for example, if there's a run in families or is it, do you know, like obesity changes, for example, is there anything you could say people early like in their mid-30s you know you should do this this and that and maybe that could ease that passage shift yeah well there's no doubt that lifestyle is terribly important mm -hmm. when you start hitting you know you can get away with a lot in your 20s and 30s <laughs> and it as you which start hitting, which is great <laughs> isn't it but as you hit your 40s 50s you know life catches up with you exactly. and actually the perimenopause is one of those things where it really and one of the things is particularly how much you've in quotes which isn't very medical lived off your adrenals mm. you know this is not medical speak here yeah, but this is but people it is, can relate to it day it's how everyone speaks you know That's that right. girl you know she's crazy she blah 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 but actually if you've kind of you know, worked every hour that God sent, or been out there partying, taking a lot of alcohol, not taking the time to rest, you know, uppers, downers, so you wake up with coffee, you're eating sugar through the day, you're not exercising, you're taking alcohol at night, you know, we all do that to some degree, but it's yeah. the degree to which people rely on these things, you know. I'm sure a few people can relate to this as well. <laughs> but is there a correlation, for example, with women who've had, I would say, difficult periods through their life mm -hmm. and a difficult menopause? Or don't you find, or perimenopause, through, or not necessarily? Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. But it's because, I mean, if you think about what happens in the perimenopause, it's a bit, so you can actually predict it to some degree from how they started their period. Because what you're looking at is a system that's slowing down it's going into a new phase so it's similar to the system that revved up when they were at puberty right mm -hmm. it's it's the other end of the spectrum isn't it totally yeah and so what you're looking at is did they have a rough ride at that time mm -hmm. you're looking at did they have a rough ride in pregnancy yeah. um you're looking at because what you're seeing is you're it's a time when the hormones are are not in a nice smooth pattern like they are which is you know the estrogen rises till you get to ovulation and then it drops down and then the progesterone comes up and drops down nicely and then they all drop at the period yeah. what happens with the perimenopause is the estrogen often is rising and isn't compensated by the progesterone right and if you've been you know adrenal if you've been working with your adrenals for women the, the main source of their testosterone levels is from DHEA, mm -hmm. which comes from the adrenals. So Absolutely. if the adrenals, if you've had major stressors, you know, that have really taken toll on your adrenals, you won't have the resources of DHEA making testosterone to help you balance against the mm. estrogen progesterone that's going like this. And then on top of that, you've got the thyroid that goes out potentially at the same time. I, if you don't mind, I would like to stop here just for a second, mm. because it's becoming technical, but I just want, this is interesting for people that 
start looking into in a, kind of introspectively into themselves to understand hormones because there is something that we need to understand here is that all the different hormones are somehow connected in a way so the way you're affecting and let's take this example that you've just mentioned we know that the adrenals will be stimulated or overstimulated if we are in a stressful environment they will eventually even if this happens in your 30s will probably it will catch up with you when you go through another change like perimenopause and i think it's difficult for people to understand that correlation is that it's a, it's not exactly a unit but it's all intertwined and its connection is not just in the present but it stretches in time as well absolutely so in a way it's interesting to see that the way you look after yourself all along will have an impact in when you go through major changes such as menopause. It's like a symphony in a way. Mm. And funnily enough, I'm embarrassed to say that it took an Ayurvedic doctor in India to really point that out to me. Oh, well, tell the story. Oh, it was such a funny story. I was working doing some volunteer work in India and mm -hmm. I was, and they, they were very excited because I was a Western doctor and there were about four or five menopause, perimenopausal women mm -hmm. that were worried about their thyroid. And sure enough, they came into my office, I did the test, and I said, yep, thyroid's not looking good here. Mm -hmm. I think we should put you on thyroxine or, you know... Uh, and support. Some support yeah. of your thyroid, not necessarily actual replacement, but really... And they all took their results and they walked down the corridor till they got to the Ayurvedic doctor's office and they said... And after the fourth one had gone down the corridor, I went down the corridor too. And luckily this guy was really nice and he said to me, he said, don't worry, as only an Indian doctor will say to you, don't worry. And he said, what we'll do is, he said, you're going to be here for four or five months. We'll, t we'll put them all on my program and we'll test them all at the end of it. He said, you know, they're going through the perimenopause, he said. All of the hormones, they change together. And he was the first doctor that had pointed that out to me. That's, I think it's, it's fascinating because it, it helps everyone to understand and also to cope with other changes that are so difficult for them to, to handle. As I see, because we see a lot of patients, a lot of patients come and find that, if we can say it this way, it's unfair because they have friends that go through it smoothly and some, you know, or they feel so challenged by it. Yeah. And the change of it also challenges them in so many ways. You've just said it moods, it's physical changes, as we know, will go maybe through the few changes that go through perimenopause, but also socially it changes things, their interactions with their friends, with their kids, with their husbands. You know, it's like it, it seems to be tackling in such a vast, transversal way that you don't know where to look anymore because everywhere seems to be not as strong as you thought it was going to be. So when those ladies come to you. What, do you, what is the first thing that you try? And obviously there's a lot of batches of tests you're gonna do, but what, how do you bring this back together and bring them back into thinking, look, we're gonna help you to understand first and help you to sell that through. Most importantly, I like to look at the lifestyle. Mm -hmm, yeah. I like to look at what is their life, you mm -hmm. know, because you need to understand their life. You need to see what has gone before, what is now and what is coming you mm -hmm. need it that's the it's a passage isn't it mm -hmm. and so you know have they got three teenage kids in the house that's that right. they're handling and maybe their husband has had um you know a, a problem in his office or maybe he's traveling more 
or maybe they you know that one of their parents has just got sick mm -hmm. so there's all those compounding things that are going on it's a very and challenging time so educators yeah around 40 to 50 you know you have those issues there's so many changes we think we're all settled but we're not but we're not and and you know women are are you know are challenged often you know in terms of their work at that stage yeah. um, you know they're getting to the age where they've got you know if they're in a, a high-paid job they've got quite a senior role and so they've got to hold that together and they may be doing things in their lifestyle that are supporting them holding the job together but aren't supporting their health mm. aren't supporting you know in a, a, a stress-free environment at home you know so all of that has to be looked at so you're looking at how much exercise they're doing how much you know how, how they're eating alcohol what supplements they're taking how much coffee they're relying on are they drinking water how are they sleeping at night that's such a big one because you know people rely on sleep and then suddenly that's one of the biggest things we deal with in the perimenopause is the fact that they either suddenly they know they need their sleep because that's what's just holding their whole life together mm -hmm. and suddenly they can't sleep. And that's often what precipitates the visit to the doctor. Well, it seems to me the first thing you do well is that you listen to them. <laughs> I you listen. Know, and I think this is, you know, it's a story. You've just mm. said it. it's a story in going, but it's a story through this whole kind of passage. It's, it's long. It's also mm. long. I think we don't, I especially as a, as, as a man, I think we don't really grasp the the length of how difficult it can be if it's two or three years as you said it's not like oh i'm not feeling that well for three weeks so get over it no it takes a long time and you don't necessarily know how long and i find this is also something that we need to some help them with because when you can see the end of the tunnel you can you can brace yourself say okay or the top of the mountain i'm going to go there and i get there and you can i guess you know find a way to get to this point but when you don't know where the point is mm. i find it's really daunting when it happens so I think this is, you know, we can support them as well, thinking, okay, we'll be with you all the way. Now, so once you've listened to them, understood their life, I guess, mm. then what's the next step for you as, as, as well, a you holistic want doctor? To, you know, it, it obviously depends on what, because usually what it's find. symptoms that have brought them in. Is right. it because they are raging at everyone for a week, a month? Is it because their periods have got so irregular that they're bleeding, you know, every two weeks? Mm -hmm. Is it that they have, you know, they've fallen out of love with their partner because they're not got that closeness going together? Mm -hmm. Is it because they can't manage anymore with their job? So you have to look at it, but you're obviously going to be looking at your, you know, you look at the hormones. Some women are in because they're gaining weight. That's another thing I haven't even touched on, but mm. we've got all the female hormones going. You know, we've got the, the estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. And then we've got the adrenal hormones, which is cortisol and DHEA. And then we've got the thyroid hormones, yeah. which is T4 and T3 and TSH. So you've got all of that going. But then you've got what's going on with their blood sugars, what's going on with their insulin control. Mm -hmm. And what's difficult about the menopause, perimenopause is once you hit the menopause, it's a bit more flat-lined. But it's like a, some months they'll feel great. And you just think, it's a bit like rearing children, actually. You just think, I've got it nailed now. I know yeah. what to do at this stage. Of the, and then they're off. Boom. Boom. And it's the same with the perimenopause. It's just, you've just got their hormones beautifully. Everything's going well. And suddenly they have a terrible month where the estrogen and progesterone are so out of balance with each other that you're almost starting again. 
do you find that when because this at the end of the day and what we're trying to do here but also what you do is a lot of it is educational right you you, you sure. also teach people or enlighten people on themselves and how those things are in a way normal and therefore expected and therefore you can live through it but do you feel that this is a big step in this process of be, being able to handle it so knowing more about it do you think education in a way about this helps people to deal with it better? I think it's really important and support. I think education and support because mm. I think uh, it's... It, doctors always want to do something. Yeah. And mm. so when they go to see their GP or whatever, sometimes they, they get given something, you know, because doctors want to help and the mm. way they help is by giving things. Sometimes actually it's more important to just help the woman understand what's going mm. on and to help her see her way through it. I find this a lot, so from, even from my side, because it's interesting to see people coming to therapists going for something, because we didn't touch this as well, but it, it is a, sim a symptom of perimenopause can be joint pain. Yes. So they come sometimes to osteopath, for example, and but they know it's a different joint pain because they've had back pain before, knee pain, whichever it is, and they say, "Look, I have this now, but it's different." And it's I've seen this quite a lot. And then as we start looking, I say, "Yeah, I don't think this is actually a normal, let's say, somatic dysfunction. It's a different thing." And say, "Yeah, I think I know it's different." And, I, and suddenly that opens the door to actually a few of the things have changed as well. And when you start going there, you can see that they. They've done now their research because there is access to research for people and it's internet research as we all know. And it's not necessarily the best idea because it's scary, whichever way you want to look at it. When you don't really know what you, be, you should be looking for, when you start looking at menopause and internet, you suddenly have all the symptoms that are written on the page. And <laughs> I find that this is where it is so important to kind of educate people going... Th I'm just, we were reading about this when we came here and it's like 12 million people right now in the UK are going through perimenopause. That's a lot of people going through this, the same process in a way. Yeah. And I don't think that there are that, that's much link between all these people to help each other, know more about each other and you know, have, know where to go. Say, okay, fine, that's normal, that's normal, that's what I can do. Because there are things we can do, obviously, yeah. that are not just, so what we just said now, we need to know what is the big first symptoms we need to address. But what are the things, let's say generically, that you, you, you would say can help going through it. Okay, so, you know, it, so the things that I, I think is it, what you're trying to do is it's a time to caretake and therefore eating well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things is if you th if think about it in terms of the, the importance of your adrenal glands, then eating regularly and eating food that supports a steady blood sugar mm. rather than foods that sort of create a constant up and down of your blood sugar up and down your insulin, which will cause more yeah. mood swings if you're having mood Absolutely. swings as a result of your, your hormones. Your hormones are already going up and down. You might as well have some steady sugars. Try and let get some steadiness <laughs> in it. And how do you yeah. do that? You do that by not having a cup of coffee every time you you know, you know, think, God, I'm feeling tired, yeah. I'll have another cup of coffee because that will shoot up your blood sugar and your insulin. But you, you choose foods that are you know, lean protein, yeah. you choose complex carbohydrates, mm -hmm. you choose good fats, mm -hmm. you choose vegetables and fruit, and you eat the way we all know we should be eating. Right. We know what they should be. People say, yeah. oh, but the people keep changing their mind about what you can and can't eat. 
No, we know. We do know. We just choose not to know sometimes. (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) But let's not, let's take responsibility for making that choice, you know? That's true. So that's one thing. I think sleep is the, the one thing. You know, you know, there's a wonderful book called Why Do We Sleep? And actually, really, not sleeping adequately ages us. And it age and and I remember when I was training about, you know, hormone replacement in the menopause and the perimenopause, the doctor said, if you don't get their adrenal glands sorted out, you won't get the rest of the hormones sorted out. And he said the most important way to heal the adrenal glands is just for people to get enough sleep. Full stop. Full stop. How easy is that really? But how difficult do we make it for ourselves? Well, because we know we're pulled into the society, it's kind of being tough not to sleep. You know, it's, it's being tough to be able to sleep six hours and still, you know, exercise at five in the morning and then go to work and then do the, you know, there's this kind of image of being a super woman, being able yeah. to do all these things. But again, it seems that it catches up with you because it's, there's nothing good in it, as yeah. you're right. So, but when so sleep, sleeping. exercise, exactly. exercise, that very important, good. particularly important because as we age, our estrogen levels, as they drop, then actually more fat, more muscle goes to fat. Mm-hmm. So to how to counter that is for us to exercise. And particularly, um, you know, when we're exercising is to be building muscle. So because that will also build our metabolic rate, will help us not put on weight. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of reasons why that can be terribly beneficial for ourselves. And I think for some people, it's actually to get some lifestyle counseling. And I mean there, what choices have they made in their life at this point? And are they happy with their choices? And can they see that actually, maybe it's a time to, you know, we used to have this saying, that when, you know, that when people would come in bleeding, you know, for England, coming in, and it was written on the medical notes, HHH, hates her husband. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> wow, this is incredible. You know. But I, 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 I want to relate to this a lot because I think we've just seen this. There's been such a change in society since the COVID hit that we've seen at the back of this, a lot of people are changing bigger great. things and I, th- and I think that similarly because perimenopause menopause is such a change you 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 review your life a little bit why yeah. would you not you have to and if this is the kind of condition socially you put yourself into and you don't feel that comfortable maybe suddenly you could somehow putting a bit in a denial place but now you can't and you have to face it again so mm. I think the counseling is, is, is really helpful as well and it might, you know, I've used the example of the husband, but it could just as easily be the boss over here of course. that is on their case constantly, or the kids that they're not managing, and maybe they should do, you know, join a support group to deal with teenage kids, or do you know what I'm saying? I'm not, I use that as one example, but, I, but there are many others. I've just read an incredible article about this. Around 50, there used to be the empty house syndrome true and now we have the full house the syndrome. full house <laughs> the kids are not it's going true. anywhere or oh, they're coming back and yeah. it, again coming back to covid but lots of kids could move back to their parents if they move back to their countries of origin it's incredible and you have yeah. this so now we're back on these ladies who are going through this because menopause is still going on covid or not and they're dealing with their relationships and then suddenly kids are coming back home with their kids so they're having this it's called the full house syndrome where they have to cope with all of that on top of their own changes. And it's been quite challenging, I think, for a lot of women going through their own changes at the same time. 
I'm going to ask you the question because everyone obviously has heard of it and wants to know about it. What do you think and how do you use rather the HRT treatments? Hormone so, replacement therapy. Yeah, hormone know. replacement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the perimenopause is different to the menopause. So, mm-hmm. And that's important because most of the time in the perimenopause, you're dealing with high estrogen levels, not low estrogen levels. Mm-hmm. But they can drop. But mainly you're dealing with low progesterone and possibly low testosterone and or low DHEA. Mm-hmm. Now you're French and in France everyone can buy DHEA over the counter. Here it's a prescription drug and it's not often given. Mm-hmm. So very often in this country we're dealing mainly with progesterone and testosterone. Yeah. And I find that, you know, that, so, and this is important because we de- we're dealing with progesterone and there's this whole argument that goes on about this is more in the menopause than in the perimenopause but we are not dealing with progestogens we are dealing with natural progesterone and it really comes into its own particularly in the perimenopause because this is where women are quite depleted in progesterone very often because they're not ovulating, they're not producing progesterone in that second half of the cycle, mm. and that's what's making them, yeah. you know, uh, that just as they're coming up in the period. And you can smooth that out for them. You could also help them sleep because that's the other thing. Because, it's yeah, this just such a sleep deprivation. Just oh, it's just, you know, they might have been managing and then suddenly they're awake at four every morning, you know, every morning they're awake at four, they're sitting there and they're awake for an hour or two and then they've got to get up at seven and they're like, oh. So for me, I've had more women ring me up and say, you've changed my life by giving me natural progesterone in the second half of the cycle. So we, and the other thing is that it's really protective against breast cancer. So that's so, you know. At I'm that stage, there that's is an association with mm. women with low natural progesterone levels and an increased risk of breast cancer, and that is because it's unbalanced estrogen and progesterone. I'm glad you're touching on this because I know that a lot of people think the opposite. You know, there is this rumor somehow that HRT can sometimes also lead to cancers. I know, I know, patients come with this. Yeah. In their mind. So it's important to clarify this, I think. Now, do you, again, because it's a bit of a trend, there's bioidentical hormones as well. What would, what's difference is this between an H, normal HRT, if, they, if we can call it such, and bioidentical? Well, that, the, 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 so there's two answers to that question. One is that we really get into that BHRT as we hit the full menopause, right. okay, okay? Because that's when you're replacing all of it, potentially. Whereas in the apparent so that's after your last period. Sorry. That's after your last period. Okay. For the yeah. most part, we do use it before that, but it really it's much more useful at that stage. So in the perimenopause, there's not really a conversation because there really should only be, na- you know, natural progesterone cream because mm-hmm. nothing else works in that way, right. or uh, or testosterone. I mean, I just want to bring up testosterone because it's not used a lot in this country. And I'm glad and you mentioned it because it is used in France quite a lot, funny enough. And I'm, you know, there's those difference in cultures and medicine. It's interesting to you can't really trace to where it came from, but that's. 
Well, it's not licensed in this country. It hasn't been up to date for women in the menopause. And it's certainly not licensed for the perimenopause. But this is changing. Right. And that's um, and it, now there you can make a case for it mm -hmm. if the woman is or has a mood issue or more importantly is not, not, you know, not interested in sex. You can make a case for it. But many doctors don't know that right. and so they don't get into that discussion or their their you know trusts don't let them you know prescribe it mm -hmm. but i i don't want to get into that in no, a big no, no. way but just so we understand that but i've had women come who are you know they're working in the city or they're used to standing up in front of 200 people and suddenly they're kind of having an anxiety attack on the corner because they can't get out on the stage. And why? Because actually testosterone boosts confidence. Surely does. You know, and so there's no doubt that, and I've transformed other women's life by giving them some natural testosterone, which is flagging before they hit the menopause. So for me, these are the two hormones I most give before the menopause. Mm. Now, for me, when we then get into the menopause and just answering your question about bioidentical hormones, I don't think we should even be talking about bioidentical hormones because as far as I'm concerned, every woman that gets hormone replacement should have bioidentical hormones. Okay. It's full stop. Full stop. That's and that like. doesn't Simple mean, and, and what's you. got muddled in people's minds, and it's got muddled in doctors' minds as well, is that somehow that's concomitant with getting it compounded in a special pharmacy somewhere. But actually, you can get bioidentical hormones from your GP. You just have to have... You, so all the rest of them should be just thrown out, as far as I'm concerned. I just don't understand why anyone is still prescribing them. Because they're not safe. But when you think, you know, you say this with, you know, and I, thank you, but it's in, why, I know you know this, but most people don't know this, mm. right? It seems really that the bioidentical world is really for certain people who can have access to really certain type of private medicine and it does, you know, it seems so exclusive in a way. Yeah, and, 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 and I, that's I where it's... Yeah, and it's because it, I'll tell you why it's become exclusive, mm. and it's really good that you brought it up. It's become exclusive because when people go to see their doctor, they are not the menopause is for the mo it's getting better, but the menopause is not well taught in medical school, and it's not well handled. So the idea is that you you know you have hormones for a few years, and you know and then you just stop. Yeah. But it's huge, and look, and it's and it's not then well translated to the public because if the doctors don't know so much about it, they're not going to take the time to explain something they don't really know much about to their patients, and therefore right. then it kind of goes into this realm of no, no one really even speaks about it because you're a bit embarrassed. And I find it is, I'm glad that you're making clarity about all this because I I didn't know that there was again we could access bioidentical hormones and that should be it and sh everyone should have access to it and. It, Everyone can have access. I mean, what people get into is the nuances of bioidentical yeah. hormones. And there are nuances, mm. but there are basic bioidentical hormones that you can get on the NHS. And to me, you know, so I, I spend quite a lot of time educating other doctors mm. about, you know, I send mm. letters, you know, explaining what people can get. Well I Good also... But you should, but there is this whole, there is this whole thing about, um, 
the controversy around the bioidentical hormone is also about, it's an interesting one, about compounding pharmacies. Because in people's minds in this country, the two things have got mixed in people's minds. Mm. And, and that is because when, they, when the first, the bioidentical hormones came to this country, some of the things you couldn't get on uh, through a regular pharmacy, so you'd have to get it through a compounding pharmacy. I see. But the scary thing is, and I am gonna bring this up because I feel passionate about it, we have lost our skill of compounding in this country. So instead of people saying, well, that's a good thing, I see you, Boniface, and I think, right, Boniface could do with this mixture of things mm -hmm. to make him feel better. That, but I could see somebody, your friend, and they wouldn't do as well in that concoction. Absolutely. Yeah. Because they're a different person with a different body makeup. And therefore, why is it? And so that concept of bioidentical hormones is the concept, and that's the bigger concept, is tailoring a, a treatment to a patient. Which, which comes back to the beginning, listening, taking a proper case history and putting a patient in perspective in, in their life and not just in their symptoms. Thank you for touching on this, because I know this is, a, is you know, it's an important subject. And I know this, again, people have such mixed ideas about rumours that are around. I don't know why it's not more clear, really, to be honest. Well, it's not, you know, it isn't well-educated. I think the other thing is people don't look at, you know, how people metabolise their hormones in their body. So this is another one. Awesome. So you can give the safest hormones in the world, but if they have a genetic poor metabolism of oestrogen, you need to support that system mm, right. to help them metabolise the oestrogen safely relatively easy to do you can get them taking things like resveratrol you know but you can also get them eating red grapes <laughs> broccoli <laughs> all the cruciferous vegetables making sure that they are doing some of the things in their environment that are less estrogenic you know we have plastics that are you know estrogenic there's all of that stuff <laughs> that you can think about so it's not just, it is also about, again, people in their environment. That brings me to the link to inflammation. And I know this is a big topic in, your, in the way you, you, you practice medicine, and I, we, we love that. And it's, so to make it a question, do people that experience more, higher level of inflammation in their body, would it be due to obesity, for example, or substance abuse, or some kind of predisposing factor? will potentially have more issues with, their, with managing their hormones and therefore going through perimenopause. So we, we're falling into the same story here. You know, there's a singularity in every patient and taking the case history gives you that. But when you take those measurements and would you test for the C-protein reactive or whatever it is that you, the marker of inflammation, how do you, is addressing inflammation helping with those changes, for example? Well, it's a question. I mean, the thing is, the single most important factor for cancer, which is, is of course, what determines whether people are given HRT or not. They, oh, you know, there's a big cancer risk, you better not have it, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. But the biggest single factor for, for, um, for cancer is obesity. Can be, yeah. And why is that? Because that is because of the inflammation. <laughs> Actually, it go. It goes in circles, doesn't it? You know it, but it's true. What's interesting is, though, I mean, very interesting. I can use an example out of one of the patients I saw today, who's mm -hmm. got just been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, 
Now, she has always eaten amazingly well, mm-hmm. she, but she has got two other conditions. She's got Hashimoto's and she's right. got... Which is um, a thyroid condition. Which is a thyroid, an autoimmune thyroid condition. And she's had a tremendous amount of stress in the last year. But what's interesting, the reason I'm bringing her up is because as much as her rheumatoid factor is positive, actually her inflammatory markers are normal. And that's because she manages her life so well. So I said to her, I think we can get you through this. I think we can get through to the other side because you manage your life so well. We just have to retrace how you ended up you know, that amount of stress that you had in the last year has set off something else in your body. Whereas had she been someone where all the inflammatory markers were high with the diagnosis of rheumatoid, I'd be much more concerned about her long term with that. The aggressive disease with that one. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you for putting this into perspective. That shows the singularity of every patient, and this is why they are doctors and good doctors. And it takes time to do this, but also it takes time to to listen to someone, to to, to grab all of this information. And I think this is one thing that we are lucky to to be working in with time. You know, we have we have to we can give time mm. to our patients, and I know that the NHS sometimes lacks a bit of time and that's something maybe where they can't go into not just that depth but that transversal look that helps you to correlate things and maybe address the patient in the in the best way i have another question for you and we just touched before we started this and it's we're coming back to the perimenopause here and i guess it's nice sometimes that it's a a woman and a man speaking about it because um i find that because it happens usually in couples or when it happens in couples anyway it's, it doesn't belong to the woman. Yes, the woman is going through it, but basically the couple is going through it. And I find that it's important that even as doctors or as practitioners, we educate the men about it. And we want the men to know more about what are the symptoms or the possible symptoms of perimenopause, what can change and not change, and make them inclusively part of that change and process so they kind of support their wife rather than finger pointing that they have to deal with it because it's their thing knowing that they've had to deal with lots of things along the way for being women and i find that we don't really again we, we don't really hear that very often and i'm and i'm trying to embrace it when i can and i think it's really important to have to, to make men aware and it just helps everyone i think it's what do you think about that i definitely i'm laughing and smiling mm-hmm. because my first introduction to the menopause was when i was a quite a young doctor and I was working in Canada, and in Canada you can change your GP at any time. And suddenly, I, you know, when they heard in this area that I was there, all these young, all these menopausal women came flying in the door, and I knew nothing about the menopause. And as, as you know, I had no training in it. And on top of that, as a young woman, I was I couldn't believe it was ever going to happen to me. Yeah, it seems so far away. <laughs> it seems yeah, so far away, and I was yeah. like, but why were they coming? That's the interesting thing. Yeah. Why were they coming? And the reason they were coming, they had been very happy with their male GPs until they hit the menopause, and suddenly they didn't feel heard. Is that interesting? So they, it is true. It's not educated properly in. Because and men are, feel awkward. They don't know what to do with it. They, they kind of feel like, I don't know what to do with it. You know, they're kind of hoping their wives are never going to hit the menopause <laughs> as well, you yeah. know. And so they are, feel awkward. And look, 
I'm, I'm exaggerating. There are some amazing male of doctors course. out there of that course. are wonderful with women. But I'm just talking about my experience. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it is, it's the, it is, and it's great that you, you know, you're thinking about this because, you know, women are, uh, you know, we are, uh, uh, like men, we are, uh, you know, driven by our hormones. You know, that's, that's it. And we will, whether we want it or not, we have these amazing opportunities and we have these amazing things that we, you know, then have the challenges. Totally, totally. You know. We, we talked about sex for a minute because this is interesting. This is the French. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> but I thought, because this is, I think it's a good example to get in there. We know that one of the symptoms of menopause is going to be vaginal dryness. And it's yeah. something that you can address with obviously lubrification. There's other things you can do. And I think it's one thing, it seems to be, Either the man says, well, you know, you do something about it, or he feels maybe rejected because he thinks that this is a sign that his wife is not as aroused by him. him or into him. Or there's another way to do it and says, okay, listen, that's happening. That's okay. Let's go around, see all the things we can try. Let's try them all and let's see what, what works best. And I find it's so inclusive for the woman to not be oh, it's my fault again. You know, mm. I'm the one who's changing. He's not changing because it seems that the men are linear in their life, which is also not true. It's also not true. Not, at all. <laughs> not at true in their hormones, not at true in their libido, not at true in their, in anything. Everyone's changing. <laughs> Obviously, age touches, touches everyone. And that's a good thing. But I find that, you know, it seems that the women always have this, they are finger pointed as the one who changed more and have to deal with on their own. Mm. And I just don't find this is fair and I don't think they find it's fair. And I find that as practitioners and as doctors like you, it's nice to, to include that in the process of menopause. And I actually see the man and say, listen, you know, why not have a consultation with men? Look, this is what menopause is. Yep. This is what your wife is going through. This is what you can do to make not her feel better, but you as a couple feel better because there are so many things that can be done. Yeah, I think, and, and so for that reason, I always ask about vaginal dryness because, um, and libido, uh, because they are so important and to lesser or greater degrees, of course, for some people, you know, but they, you know, if you don't ask for it, particularly in the British society, you won't necessarily be told it. Mm -hmm. They, you know, oh, you know, you know, I'm supposed to just carry on. And I thought my aunt, who's a New Yorker, once, you know, said to me years ago, she said to me, she said, Wendy, I won't try the American accent because I'm not good at it. But she basically said to me, she said, once you hit the menopause without estrogen, it's like having sex in a sandpit. <laughs> I want this to come out and be the punchline of this podcast. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, this is the thing. And then women are meant to be, you know, I was going to say taking this, but they have to be basically coping with this and no yeah. one really helping them. And, I and find how can they help? You know, and they can help. And I think women, you know, so what happens very often is women sort of grin and bear it, or, you know, if they don't get the help. Or they kind of, you know, just push the man away because it's too painful. Right. So they're not going to, you know, who's going to enjoy sex if it's painful? No. No one will. 
And, you know, there's no, no benefit at that point for them if, 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 you know, if it's very painful, obviously, you know. So I think, um, you know, and then also the, just the trauma of sex, if they're not well lubricated, these to bladder infections and, you know, on it goes. So, it goes. It, you know, and there's a lot men can do. And, you know, and you really see where that man's, you know, where his heart is, actually, in fact. You really see where his heart is at that point. Is the man that really works with it exactly sadly it seems that we sometimes need to give a bit of pointers as well to these men (laughs) so listen this is happening and this is why this is happening and maybe this is what you can do so i I just want to wrap things up a little bit if this is okay And and i think that the four things i really take away from this number one is that when we're lucky enough to see a doctor like you we're lucky enough to be heard and that means that we have someone who understands that health is a physical, mental and social combination. And if you can see this and, and come from those three pillars into understanding someone's condition, then you get a chance to get to the bottom of those changes. I think that there is a big, we need to educate or help educating women on this because it is something that everyone will go through at some point and they need to understand what it is for them. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone because most of these women are in a couple, so it means that men will somehow also go through menopause because they're partners. Funny that. So I'm just thinking it's, it's education should be just on women. I know people, oh, we're going to educate. Well, no, we need to educate men as well. It's the Correct. only way to help this passage. Um, you've obviously helped us a lot to understand the things we can help ourselves and how seeing your doctor will help going through environmental changes, understanding that eating better, exercising, counseling if you know knowing where you are in your life and is it the time for change and what's happening in your in your life not just in your body but around you as well and finally um hrt and this really nice little explanation about bioidentical hormones because i think i i get these questions all the time and it is really confusing for people to know and i think because i've tried in preparation for this podcast to go and find some more information on the internet and it's very difficult to find any coherence in what you read, unless you really know quite a lot about it already. So for most people who don't know, I think that it's a very tricky, very tricky subject to, to find information. Mm. What would you like to say when you to finish and to close this subject on perimenopause? Because you see a lot of women about it, you've worked on it for, I don't know how many years, how many years have you worked? I'm not even I don't going say, exactly. there. I was gonna say that, but anyway, from Canada to England, you, you help women and you help them every day. And I'm just, I mean, I just want to, I just want you to tell people that are listening to us tonight that there is something that has to be, that can be done, by the way, that has to be, that can be done, and you have to find, find people like you who can help them understand, and when you understand, it seems you can figure out what is the best thing for you to do, and there's so many things to do, so... I leave it to you to just close that in thinking, what's the one sentence you would like to say to women in perimenopause? You know, there's help out there if you're struggling. You know, that's what I'd like to say is there's help out there if you're struggling and there's plenty that we can do. That sounds perfect to me. So we have to look for help because it's there. (laughs) Thank you, Wendy, for coming. I'm so grateful for your time. I know that you're very busy and, you know, we are doing this podcast to try and help people to understand more and try and find help, know that the help is out there. So I hope that this will help women to just reach out to you and other practitioners around yeah. them if you, they can't get to you to, to help themselves. Thank you so much. Pleasure. A bientôt. Bye-bye. <laughs>